Want more of the Josh Scanlon podcast? Please. Please. Here you go. The Josh Scanlon podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Josh Scanlon podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash heritage wealth planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. What does Jeremy Siegel think about the direction of the stock market? Let's dive right into this in the uh, new advisor perspectives interview that I just read about uh, two days ago. So it'll be interesting because Jeremy Siegel is one of the top three guys you should follow. We got Siegel from Wharton, we got Schiller from Yale, and we got my man of all men, Jack Bogle from Vanguard. So don't forget to subscribe down below. And uh, of course, comments, questions, concerns, and thumbs up always help. And uh, this is my man, Robert Hoopsher, Hoopsher, uh, something like that, uh, who's, uh, I think he's a founder of Advisor Perspectives. Big fan of, uh, of his stuff uh, with Advisor Perspectives. I can't tell you. Wonderful, wonderful people write for Advisor Perspectives and a, and a big, big fan of what they do. So uh, this is uh, Siegel is the uh, professor of finance at Wharton, uh, senior investment strategy at Wisdom Tree Funds. You're probably familiar with them. His book, Stocks for the Long Run, now in the fifth edition, is widely recognized as one of the best books on investing. Could not agree more. Uh, is available via the link on his page. He's a master marketer on CBC and market master on CNBC and regular appears on all the various networks. So uh, here's uh, what Robert says, and I'll put a link to the uh, book in the show notes. To, if you got one investing book, this is the one to get. It's all there is to it. Our interview last year was on November 20th when the S&P 500 was at 2579. Yesterday, it closed at 2641. That's a gain of 2.4%. Last year, you said the market was about fair value, Jeremy Siegel. So you're not far off your forecast, given that the average annual return has been about 9.8%. But in fairness, you did say last year uh, the 2018 would be tougher than it was in 2017, which it has been. What is the fair value of the S&P 500 now? And what is your outlook for the coming 12 months, including December of this year? And Siegel says, the market is trading at 15 times next year's estimated operating earnings of the S&P 500. Now, I did a a thing where uh, Schiller uh, from the Cape, the cyclically adjusted P.E. ratio, uh, takes somewhat issue with his friend uh, and their friends and colleagues, Siegel, about the operating earnings of the estimated 500, S&P 500. Schiller likes more of the... uh, the actual reported earnings, the numbers that they're actually using to report the earnings. But anyway, so that entails about a 12% increase from 2017 earnings, which is what Siegel is saying. I, I think that's too high. The earnings next year might be as much as a more modest 4 or 5%, which then gives us about a 16 uh, times earnings multiple. That's a PE ratio of 16. I think that 16 times earnings is on long-term basis relatively cheap, as long as the interest stay in the, uh, stay in the 3% range. For the long run, I believe the fair market value of the S&P 500 is closer to 17 to 18 times earnings, which gives us a 5 to 6% real return. Ah, where have we heard that before? Old Scanlon. Where have I said that before? By Siegel. So it's very circular. So Siegel says something. I agree with this. So I report on what Siegel says. Then Siegel says something else, which I agree with. And I say, hey, that's what I just reported on. 
<laughs> it's great. It makes me look like a, oh, he's so smart. I'm just going off what Siegel, uh, Schiller, and the big one, uh, Jack Bogle say. So I just look, I, I completely agree. Uh, five to six percent real return on stocks completely makes sense to me. And of course, that's what Siegel says, and that's why it makes sense to me. Uh, this PE multiple is higher than historical average because of liquidity in the market, the ability to get index returns, and low interest rates. The equity risk premiums is still pretty hefty compared to bonds. And the equity risk premiums, my friends, is what James Glassman said back in the late 90s about the Dow 30,000. Everyone was hating on Glassman after that when the Dow just proceeded to crash to, uh, man, I can't remember what it was, 6,300? I don't I can't remember if that was in 19... In 2008, 2009, 6,300. I can't remember. But anyway, everyone was banging on uh, Glassman for saying Dow 30,000. And yet, look where we are. And the whole point was that was the equity risk premium of stocks versus bonds. You have more of a risk premium in stocks. Thus, they should get you more return. And if you look at the risk premium relative to bonds, the Dow should be 30,000. That's his argument. And it still rings true today. He didn't say it was going to happen overnight. But hey, uh, the media doesn't care. They're, they're vicious to people. Uh, we may now be below fair market value based on current earnings, but next year will be 10 years into an economic expansion. Uh, the expansion will likely break the record now held in 1990s. Again, we may now be below fair market value based on current earnings. Uh, there are people talking about a 12 to 13 year expansion. Clearly, we are near the peak earnings and trough, 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 trough earnings, which means that we cannot always consider current earnings to be in the long run steady state. And if the expansion continues, I assume that earnings are going to be 163 next year, 160, 175 in 2020, and go up a steady 4 to 5% a year. That should be at 18 times earnings, but there's a possibility of recession and a 20% drop in earnings. Thus, you want to be a little bit more cautious. The current decline means the market is positioning itself for a potential recession. Why are you forecasting a slower growth in earnings next year than there has been this year, says Robert, the interviewee, interviewer, and uh, Siegel's the interviewee. I admit, I underestimated earnings growth this year. I knew we were going to get a pop because of the corporate tax cut, but we went well beyond it. Last year's operating earnings on the S&P 500 was 124. This year is going to be about 155. Final numbers obviously depend on the fourth quarter. Actually, 158 is a current estimate from the standards and pours, and I'm shaving it down $3. Even then, it is an extraordinarily extraordinary 20% increase beyond, beyond even my expectations. The steady state increase per share earnings after inflation is only 3 to 4%, and most of that is generated by buybacks. I think that's pretty interesting because historically, uh, buybacks haven't been part of the equation. It's been dividends and earnings growth year over year. Now you got to get dividends, earnings growth year over year, and buybacks, which Siegel is saying about three to four percent. So that's uh, that's interesting to me because you got buybacks of three, let's just say three, earnings growth say three, and dividends is two. I mean that's eight percent, and I don't. It's interesting to see how that shakes out with buybacks because that's a new uh, part of the equation when it comes to S P five hundred returns uh, year over year when you factor in the dividends. Uh, earnings growth and now buybacks. So, I've been saying for the last six months that estimates for 2019 earnings are too high. Indeed, they're coming down. They were 183 to four months ago. Now they're down to 175 and I expect them to go down further. Uh, those who keep projecting 10 to 12% earnings don't understand long-term data. 2018 has been a good year for GDP growth, but next year looks very much like 2.5% growth. I don't see how you're going to generate 10 plus earnings out of a 2.5% GDP growth. 
the interviewer, uh, Hushber or Hishber, I'm not sure. A key difference since last year has been the increase in market volatility. What is driving that volatility and how should advisors and their clients react? There was this period uh, this year when there was very little volatility. The VIX, the, the measure of the volatility in the market, was all the way down at 10. I believe what is going on is that we have momentum players in the market. And these are trend followers. To be sure, we've always had trend followers, but today they wrap themselves up in a sophisticated term called momentum players. And they ride a trend without any regard to valuation. Then they all jump off at once. That generates a kind of volatility. Yeah. Uh, we had a very smooth period in the summer when the market was going up and there's almost no volatility day by day. And then bang, we broke the trend in October. I mean, again, so what caused that? It's the nature of the beast. You just don't know. Uh, the average daily change in the stock market is recorded in my book, Stocks for the Long Run. It is held up throughout history, going back over 100 years. It is two thirds of 1%. That means if you have a $25,000 Dow, 150 points is the average daily swing. Isn't that interesting? So, the average is about uh, two-thirds of 1%, uh, 25,000 if that's the price of the Dow, 150 points on either side, up or down, is the, would be the expected average daily swing. That's pretty interesting. Uh, and incidentally, that's what the amount of the market moved today. Yes, people tell me, my gosh, there's been 100 points, so many 100-point-plus moves, but that should be the average, says uh, Siegel. Less than 100 would be less than historical daily average. I believe periods alternating between a relatively low and relatively high volatility are the result of momentum players in the market. So again, he's saying 150 points is not a is not a wild swing. It's just we're not used to that because the Dow is so high. What is the likelihood of recession in the next couple of years? The probability of a recession is 50% in two years, and there are a couple of problems the economy faces. We're an extremely low unemployment rate. We've never come out of an extremely low unemployment rate without at least a mild recession. That's history. Some people blame the Fed for it. I've seen headlines. The Fed has never given us a smooth landing from a booming economy, but it's not always the Fed's fault. The Fed tries its best. Recession is part of a free market economy. We have very tight labor markets. We're squeezing out 200,000 plus jobs every month, but we're only producing 100,000 people through population growth. That is what's eating into the unemployment rate. We're drummed tight in the labor market. Furthermore, there's a threat of the trade war and there is political uncertainty. The Democrats did not do badly in the last election. The Republicans should be concerned. They lost the House. At this point, any reasonable Democrat, not one from the far left, would beat Trump. And we'll see. Republicans did very badly in uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And those states are the only reason Trump won two years ago. If he loses those three states, he's got almost no chance. And that's not just the presidency. There is the Senate to worry about, too. I just chuckle at that because uh, let's see, we got uh, we got Ron Johnson won in 2016 in Wisconsin. He's not up until 2022. Michigan already has two Democratic senators and Pennsylvania already has two Democratic senators, too. And Tammy Baldwin, is that right? Is she who's the other lady in Wisconsin? I can't. Is it Tammy Baldwin? She's a Democrat. So of those six Senate uh, senators in those three states, as Siegel talks about five already controlled by the Democrats. All right. So now, does that mean Trump's a shoo-in? No. If he doesn't win those states, it's going to be tough to win. No other way around that. Uh, but I don't know why there is a Senate to worry about. That, that's already been baked into that cake for the Republicans, uh, which is what I like. Divided Congress It's always a good thing. Uh, big part in earnings this year was because of the corporate tra- tax cut, which is the best thing that Congress and the Trump administration did. If the tr- Democrats take hold of the three branches of government, they're vowing to largely reverse it. That's not good. And that's so far down the road. 
if the Republicans can keep the Senate, which they have, uh, then they can block any repeal of the tax cuts, even if the presidency goes to the Democrats. Uh, remember, a lot of the boost in earnings was due to the corporate tax cut. We have to keep that t- corporate tax cut to have a good market. Uh, Paul Krugman from the New York Times uh, had an opinion piece on the uh, tax cut. His argument was that essentially had little impact as corporations didn't spend the money on investment. Uh, they chose it. I mean, my gosh, if this is really Krugman's article, it's just even uh, stupider than I would have thought. Did he? I'm not going to read it, but his argument was essentially that the tax cut had little impact on the markets because corporations didn't spend the money on investment. They chose to use it to buy back stocks. Well, what? That doesn't make any sense. A buyback in stock is a reduction of the quantity of the shares out there, which inherently means the supply is lessened, which means unless demand is lessened, the price goes up. I don't, uh. All right, so uh, Siegel, I never thought there was going to be an investment boom. I know a lot of saving was going to use to be used for buybacks. We have the highest corporate tax rate in the entire developed world. We suffered all this offshoring, all these corporate inversions and firms escaping to other countries. That was crazy accounting to avoid the tax rates that took billions of dollars out of the economy. The tax cut eliminated most of that. That's a huge gain. Forget about the investment. The simple reason we don't have a lot of investment because there's not much in which to invest. Firms are supplying all the goods that people demand. You invest because you need more capacity. We have enough capacity and there's enough R&D in the economy. I don't know. Uh, By the way, productivity. uh, Let's see. Okay, so he says uh, peanuts are being spent on it now in terms of investment. And to what we spend, we wired the world for the Internet back in the 90s. Uh, hundreds of billions of dollars invested that made superb gains in the productivity in the 1990s. Uh, there's little investment now in that because there's no value to create. By the way, productivity has shown some improvement recently, and that's not due to investment. It's deregulation, which improves productivity. <laughs> Oops. Then uh, he says something about uh, Krugman. Krugman is going off on the wrong tangent. He's biting on a lot of Republicans uh, did to sell the tax cut. But the truth is the corporate tax uh, oops, I keep doing that. Uh, you said any reasonable Democrat. Let's see what he says here. Uh, you said any reasonable Democrat would defeat Trump. Well, who would you define in the reasonable category? Uh, he says Michael Bloomberg. All right. uh, I did not support left wing Democrats uh, with Bernie Sanders, uh, Elizabeth Warren. All right. So I don't care what he says about that. It's so far out for 2008. I just don't care. Um, let's see. There are countries that have had 12 year longer expansions. Australia is on a 28 year expansion. There's no natural death business cycle, but it's not reasonable to continue unemployment from 3.7 while creating uh, 250,000 jobs. Where do the where where do you go to get those people? Right now, I see a little wobble that the Fed has to take to be aware of. If you look at post-war period, we've whenever we've gotten below 4% unemployment, we've had a recession within two to three years. Uh, what do you think about inflation? There are a couple of reasons why oil has dropped. Oil ran up to expect expectations of the uh, Iran sanctions were going to be much tougher than they turned out to be. Uh, big oil is finally getting to fracking in product, productions at a record. We've got a worldwide economic slowdown. The U.S. and China are the top economy, but Germany and Japan are number three and four, and they had negative GDP growth in the last quarter. Emerging market growth has been slow, and it uh, looks like Trump and the Saudis are friends again. So OPEC doesn't want to ruin Trump's chances of re-election. Okay. Uh, the oil price collapse did surprise me. I thought oil was way too high at 80 to 90, uh, and I think the oil equilibrium is 60 bucks a barrel. Uh, going back to the inflation issue, we just don't have inflation. If you look at other commodity process, prices, they're soft. The core PCE index, which is the Federal Reserve's preferred indicator for inflation and ones that uses to satisfy its mandate, 
was 2.0% year over year of the last reading from September to uh, September. The next one's coming out in November, the PCE. I believe the year over year PCE is going to go drop below 2% and maybe and drop to 1.8, which would uh, tell you about inflation is just not there. And so inflation is not there. They're not going to keep raising interest rates. That's uh, that's a fact. Uh, and they talked about the trade war. And uh, I, I don't really care much about that because I don't think the trade war is that big of a deal. Um, when we spoke last year, the Treasury is at 2.35%. The 10-year, you said then, the 10-year will reach 3 to 3.5% at the top of the cycle. It's now at 3.06. That is a good prediction. Are we at the top of the cycle and where are rates headed over the next year? It hit three and a quarter up until the collapse of oil and slowdown that we've seen in economic activity. I was thinking the next, uh, the 10 year might be three and a half to three and three quarters. I'm beginning to revise that down, perhaps a 10 year at 3.5. Uh, by the way, if the probability of recession increases, we may not, not even get rates that high. So remember, my friends, recession means bonds are high demand, high corporate, uh, not corporate, but well, highly rated corporate bonds, but specifically government bonds. So if we have our concern of recession, people flee to security and safety, government bonds, government bonds, the prices go high, the yields go down. So if you have a treasury, a 10-year treasury at 3.25, let's just say that yield will go down as the prices, i.e. the demand for those bonds go up. In the case, uh, in, oh, let's see, let's see. Uh, we might see three and a quarter of as the high if we got the current slowdown continues. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a recession. We've had a slowdown in 2016 that did not turn into recession. We've had uh, some stock market decline, actually, an ever larger, bigger reaction when we bounced back. Of course, then we had a collapsing oil all the way down to $2 a barrel. I think a 35 to 3.6% might be the high point of the cycle for the 10-year treasury. We might not even see that. Okay. Uh, so we talked about spreads of bonds. Let's keep going down here. I'm not worried about debt bond for a number of reasons. The average corporate bond has longer maturity than it used to. Secondly, our banks are extremely well capitalized, much better than before. They're flooded with liquidity. We talked about this last year and it's still true. Uh, since the crisis, a lot of the rating agencies have been applying strict rules that they didn't use before. They say, well, I know I have to build a cushion for a crisis as big as 2008 or 9. Uh, my response, I don't even think 2008 or nine was an average. I think it was a one in 70 year recession. Completely agree with that. Uh, that type of a shock was a perfect storm of very unlikely events that just cannot happen today. And we'll see. Uh, building in a probability of another crash that big and then downgrading everything just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure corporations are any more fragile than they've ever were before the financial crisis. It's harder to get the same ratings that you had before. It looks like they've downgraded debt. But what we've really done is change their criteria from what they consider AAA to AA rating. So it looks like they're downgrading the debt ratings. And actually, what they're doing is they're changing the criteria. It makes it harder to be AAA. Because remember, back then, even Fannie Mae was AAA. I don't fear a corporate debt, debt bomb. I don't think the banks are at all vulnerable. But we do have a huge deficit in the federal budget. It's actually the U.S. government's debt buildup that's much worse than what we have in the corporate, even the personal sectors. Uh, the ratio of debt to income in the household sector is well below what it was in 2005 and six, which is, was during the subprime mortgage boom. That debt all liquidated and mortgages are harder to get and more secure than they've been for decades. There's always going to be high yield bonds that are stretched when there's a recession. But in terms of tumbling into another crisis, such as we had in 2007 and eight, I don't believe that's going to happen. 
Uh, so Europe is at 12 to 13 PE, which is maybe a particularly attractive now, says Siegel. Emerging markets at 10 to 11. The latter have been beaten up so bad, I think three to five years hence, investors, investors who take diversified positions in emerging markets are going to be strong outperformers. Don't forget, half the world's equity capital is outside the U.S. And on a valuation basis, foreign equity is much more attractive than the U.S. As painful as it's been for investors over the last couple of years to maintain a global portfolio, uh, my belief is that that such a position will hang, will uh, pay off handsomely. All right. So let's just stop there. That's Siegel. I agree with almost everything he says there. Uh, without question, I'm a big fan of Siegel. Uh, not the politics stuff. I just at this stage doesn't matter. Any, I mean, my goodness, you can't start looking at political angles in 2018 for 2020. So many things change. So I would pay no mind to that. We know for a fact right now, Trump is president. He's not he's not going away. We know for a fact the Democrats will run the House. That's going to happen. And we know for the fact that Republicans will run the Senate. The Democrats might impeach Trump. He's not being convicted. He will be president. That's all there is to it. No, there's just no other way around that. So uh, Trump will be in there. The Democrats will control the House. Republicans will control the Senate. Thus, a divided Congress is always good. I mean, no crazy laws get passed. Now, you could say no good laws get passed either. Laws that get passed generally are written by a corporate lobbyist, and usually those things have problems in there. Generally speaking, I'm a fan of corporate tax cut would not have happened if the uh, Republicans did not control the House. So that is the one thing they got done that was good. But even with the Republicans controlling both sections of the Congress, there is some stuff that could have been done that was, that was just simply left alone. It was too bad. But I'd rather have no laws passed than more laws passed. So in that case, I'm pretty comfortable. I like the idea of buybacks uh, being used out of the equation. I don't know how Siegel is using that per se, but if he thinks uh, buybacks are going to represent three to four percent of uh, potential, uh, you know, earnings growth, that's uh, that's pretty interesting uh, because again, you're reducing your shares outstanding, supply dropping, and demand staying the stable. Uh, simply means prices go up. There's no other way around that. Basic economics. So anyway, hope you like it. I'll put a link to Siegel's uh, book in the show notes. Actually, the first book you should read after Common Sense on Mutual Funds by Jack Bogle. But as always, uh, thoughts, questions, concerns, post them here, and we'll talk to you.